Hello and welcome to Switchbacks, a National Parks podcast. In 2015, we quit our jobs to visit all of the U.S. national parks in one year, and ever since, we have been obsessed with all things National Park Service. This is week seven of a 62-week tour of virtually revisiting a new national park each week through a podcast episode and an in-depth guide on switchbackkids.com. We hope you learn something new and get inspired because the national parks are for everyone. Today, we're heading to 1906 and to the history far, far before that to Mesa Verde. Cole. Elizabeth. Did you know that along with Yellowstone, Mesa Verde was one of the two first established UNESCO World Heritage Sites in the entire U.S. in 1978? I did know that because Cheater. <laughs> this is the second time we've been recording this podcast yeah, because the first the one got <laughs> accidentally deleted. Yes. So still an interesting fact uh, that the that the Mesa Verde is that important that it was it was recognized at the second session of the World Heritage Committee, which was held in, in D.C. in 1978. Today, there are only 24 sites total in the U.S., and Mesa Verde was one of the very first established. Pretty yeah, cool. That's really cool. You know, right up there with Yellowstone as the number one and two established. Only 24 is hard to believe uh, World Heritage Sites in the U.S. So we, I know we've looked at the list and hope to get to all of them. Um, so first of all, let's overview the park. It is most known for cliff dwellings. Some of the most impressive in the world, including the largest in the U.S., Cliff House. Um, and in addition to the cliff dwellings, which are a very you know, famous, uh, obvious uh, marker of the ancient inhabitants of the area, there are almost 5,000 archaeological sites in all. Um, and furthermore, this was the first national park to preserve the works of man in 1906, quote, preserve the works of man in 1906. Um, it was a real shift in the focus of the National Park Service, especially uh, after the Antiquities Act had passed in that same year. So really a landmark park, most known for you know, a very notable thing with these cliff dwellings. Yeah, let's, so let's go back into that history a little bit. Uh, because some of it is known, some of it is still a little bit of a mystery, uh, but the the history of the park is really, really interesting, and it's something that everyone should learn a little bit about before visiting. So way back 1,400 years ago, ancestral Pueblo people built these elaborate stone stone dwellings on top of and in into the cliff sides in um, now in what is now the Four Corners region of the U.S. where where the park is. They lived in this area and they kind of thrived and farmed and, you know, they grew food and they hunted and uh, for about 700 years before pretty quickly abandoning the area in what was kind of a mysterious, uh, mysterious situation where they were there, had been there for 700 years and they left within about a couple of generations. 
Yeah, there's you know there's theories that it was because of drought or climate conditions, possibly war exacerbating exacerbated exacerbated by you know the drought or famine. It's you know they just don't know. Um, and then then you know by 1895 there were different European groups that had begun exploring the site. And uh, this went on. There actually turned into some looting of the archaeological areas. And uh, after a few short years, uh, a few women, uh, Virginia McClurg and Lucy Peabody, formed the Colorado Cliff Dwellings Association in 1900. Yeah, and they were really fundamental in persuading the public to to get behind the the idea of creating a national park and protecting the area from looting. Um, so through their efforts, the very first bill to create a national park was proposed in 1901 and failed. And after five years of multiple fail, failed attempts, finally Mesa Verde National Park was established in 1906. In the same year, like we said, that the Antiquities Act was passed, which even further protected some of the artifacts in the park. Right, and we'll get to why they especially need protection later on. But uh, after covering the, the overview in history, let's get into the, the good old stuff of how to visit the park. Yeah, it's relatively straightforward and a lot of and because it's so such a guided experience where you have to be with a ranger, it seems pretty straightforward, but there are some some things about this park that you really need to know ahead of time. So we're going to get into how to visit. So first, when to visit and some of the seasonal considerations. So the park ranges in elevation from 6900 feet elevation to 8500 feet, uh, which brings about some different weather. There are the website actually has interesting detailed suggested itineraries for each season. Uh, winters are kind of mild. Summers are pretty hot. There's thunderstorms in the summer, um, but I would definitely ch- recommend checking out those itineraries on the park website because they don't always do that. Not a lot of parks give you suggested itineraries. Yeah, so great information there uh, of when to visit. And then the other thing you need to know is how to get around the area and what the park looks like. Um, If I had to put a name to it, I would say (laughs) the National Park map and the boundary looks like a unicorn head. Um, I don't see it. Yeah, use your imagination. Basically, there's one entrance, only one entrance to this park off the highway, and then that entrance takes you down, you know, a long winding road until you get to, you know, past the campground to a split in the road uh, that takes you to either Chapin Mesa or Wetherill Mesa, and they're two, you know, long splits. So that means you really have to. Um, you know, plan your your visit carefully uh, because from the entrance to Chapin Mesa is 21 miles, and then you know there you, when you're planning these um, tours, you have to make sure you have enough time to get from one area to another. So yeah, it all can of take, that information is on the website. Yeah, it can take about an hour to get from just to give you an idea from the entrance to the Cliff Palace, which is the most popular house. 
And then from the park entrance to Longhouse on Wetherill Mesa, it can be about an hour and a half. So good drive times. So you want to plan around those. Yeah, park- or biking is an option throughout the park roads, especially uh, through the loops at the end of each Mesa. So if you want to do that as well as driving. Yeah, backing up just a little bit. So Mesa Verde is located in southwestern Colorado um, in that Four Corners region of the U.S. Closest airports are Cortex, Colorado, about an hour. Cortex, why does that sound wrong? (laughs) I don't know. I didn't write it. (laughs) But whether or not, uh, you're probably not flying into Cortex, so just don't worry about that one. Um, maybe Durango, Durango Colorado. Colorado, that one's one and a half miles uh, hours away. And I've actually heard of that place. So anyway, um, you're probably going to be driving there. Uh, and if you are driving there, just know that there are restrictions for trailer lengths in the park, uh, and on the park roads. So make sure you do your research according to your trailer. It's uh, Cortez. Cortez. That that's, sounds a little more. That's the gateway city yeah. to the park, not Cortex. Which Tyco, is a, which is an innovation bad. district in St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the so now that we've sufficiently confused you. Yeah, the, there. You know, if you're driving there, there's plenty of other stuff to do in the region. There's it, it. The Four Corners area is full of cultural, natural, historical sites. Um, so you might want to consider going to Hovenweep National Monument, Aztec Ruins National Monument, Canyon de Chelly National Monument. Um, all good stuff. We've been to Canyon de Chelly. It's phenomenal. Um, but you won't lack for things to do. I would make sure at least, though, to spend a full day and hopefully more at Mesa Verde. Definitely. And if you do spend multiple days at Mesa Verde, where to sleep? That's our next section. Uh, So two options for for sleeping inside the park. You have Moorfield Campground, which has a full campground and village area with lots of services, restaurant uh, or camp store, things like that. Um, It it, rarely fills. It's one of the few national park campgrounds that rarely fills. Uh, We were able to easily get a site and we visited in August. Um, There's also a far, the the lodge is called Farview Lodge, which we've heard is amazing. And it's open from usually May until September. Yeah. So let's then get into our trip and what we did in the park. Um, We visited in August, 2016. It was the second park we went to in our at the time, 59 National Park Tour. So we spent three days there and two nights at Moorfield Campground. One day was hiking all around the Moorfield Campground area, which is fairly uh, underappreciated and overlooked. We'll get into that. Uh, And then one day in Chapin Mesa, including Cliff House and Balcony House tours, we actually went on a twilight tour of Cliff House, which was really cool, and then a self-guided tour of the last main, uh, a third and last main house in the area, which was the Spruce Tree House. Um, so Chapin Mesa hit all the big houses there, cliff dwellings, as well as the Mesa Top Loop 
which was a really nice bike uh, around the loop that we were able to do, and then the museums as well, because gotta got to learn about this stuff, know what you're looking at. Yeah, but the day that I, my favorite day was the next day we spent in, in Wetherill Mesa, where we got to do this kind of special hiking and biking tour with a ranger, uh, which included a tour of Longhouse, and then we also did a self-guided tour of Step House, which was the other main house that you can self-guided walk through on Wetherill Mesa. Yeah, that tour was one of my favorite ranger activities throughout the whole National Park Service and our whole year um, because we got really lucky and when we got there into the parking lot uh, gathering for the tour it started to rain mm, just a little bit and that scared off the only other two people (laughs) that came with us so we literally had a ranger the apprentice and the two of us and it was like a backstage tour to Longhouse, private tour, plus biking all around Wetherill Mesa on the, the, the paved bike trails there. Uh, so really cool. If you have your own bike, I'm not sure if they still run that tour. I don't think they do every year. Um, but even if you, even if there's not a tour, there, you can still bike around that area on your own. Yeah, so that was our trip. Um, now let's talk about the activities in general that you can do at Mesa Verde, um, starting with the must-sees. And obviously the biggest must-see is the cliff-dwelling tours. And those are all booked through recreation.gov. So you can go to the NPS website or recreation.gov and see your options. Um, Again, the website has information about how many you can fit in your day. And, um, you know, the regular tours include Cliff House, Balcony House, both on Chapin Mesa, and Long House on Wetherill Mesa. Then there are also special tours, including, you know, the one that we did, the evening tour to Cliff House, um, and the hike and bike to, um, that one I don't think was available. So what you want to do with the special tours is look, because I think they offer different tours every year, Mm -hmm. but some of them are like sunset tours or sunrise tours or hiking tours to special, like far away, um, archeological sites. And every year is going to be something slightly different. Those cost a little bit more, uh, but in our experience, totally worth it. Yep. Yeah, right now in 2020, you have the Balcony House and Cliff House Sunrise Tours. I don't know if those are actually going on because of COVID. Right, right. So examples, so I that's, guess. Yeah, those are examples. But yeah, when you get to 2020, 21, if uh, you know, we ever get COVID under control, you can check what the tours are like. Um, but we'll get into a few more fun backcountry tours later because those are really interesting. Yeah, so beyond the cliff dwelling tours, there's also a lot of other must-dos that we would have on our list, including some of the self-guided tours of other of other um, houses, of other archaeological sites, um, hiking trails. We would we would recommend doing a hiking trail. We really liked the Petroglyph Point Trail, Soda Canyon Overlook, and the Point Lookout Trail. Those were a few of our favorites. Hmm. 
And then, of course, your scenic drive. You have no choice but to do the long drive because the uh, cliff dwellings are at the end of the road. So just enjoy the drive, too. Um, And then your favorites. So those are the must-sees. Your favorites that you sent to us on Instagram were the nighttime views from Farview Lodge. Uh, That is at the junction where the road splits to go to each mesa. There's a Farview Lodge and restaurant. Um, So apparently great nighttime views and stargazing. Um, And then somebody said any tours, seeing the homes up close and hearing the rangers' expertise. Absolutely agree with that. Uh, and then conquering the ladders on the balcony house tour. What do you think about those ladders? It's a little more intimidating than I thought for a for a ranger tour, um, but pretty cool. Balcony house is is a little bit more adventurous than the other houses as far as regular tours go. Um, there was a little bit of crawling involved. There were there was a really tall ladder. Um, so each of the tours have very descriptive. <laughs> Um, details on the website. So make sure you, you can know exactly how tall each ladder is that you're going to have to, to, to climb up and down. Um, so do that ahead of time. But yeah, those were some of your favorite experiences. And now we're going to talk about a few secrets of the parks, which the guidebooks may not tell you. So the first secret we have that was successful for us was bringing our bikes So we brought our bikes on the first leg of our National Parks trip, and I'm so glad we had them in Mesa Verde. You can bike, can you bike on anywhere on the park roads except Wetherill Mesa Road? Right. Correct. Okay. That's what I thought. We specifically biked the Mesa Top Loop, which is six miles at the end of Chapin Mesa, um, which was really nice for being able to stop at all the little pit houses and, and like little overlooks without having to get out of the car, without having to find a parking spot. It was really nice to just have a bike for those. Yeah, because there are a lot of little stops and little short trails. Uh, definitely recommend it. It's not as well known as the Cliff Palace Loop and the Cliff Dwellings, but really worth it because it gives you the idea of what the people were doing, the ancestral Puebloans were doing before the cliff dwellings. It's kind of yes. like you see the, the, the original uh, dwellings of the pit houses. If you can do that before you do the cliff, uh, the cl- your cliff dwelling tour, um, I would recommend that too. Do it early. Do the Mesa Top Loop because the pit houses were the precursor to the cliff dwellings. So it gives you kind of a chronological historical lesson <laughs> as you go through the park. Yeah, and then the second secret would be those backcountry or special tours, specifically uh, the ones you know that get you into the backcountry and require a little bit of a hike. Um, yeah, so there are different ones each time, uh, and at most there are going to be you know twenty five dollars. I guess the the longest one is forty five dollars per person, but really recommend those special tours because um, obviously not a lot of people signed up for our hike and bike tour if we were the only two. So. Um, yeah, check those out. 
And then rare for Switchback Kids podcast, we have two secrets around food. <laughs> so the first is that you can sit in the at Farview Lodge. There's a restaurant called the Matate Room. And we've heard that we've not experienced this. Unfortunately, it's on our list for next time. Uh, but you can sit um, on the balcony and eat south eat traditional southwestern dishes at this restaurant, like all all kinds of prickly pear dishes and things like that. So if you want want kind of a fun, really good meal, um, Matate Room would be the place to go. But if you want kind of a more casual <laughs> meal, the Moorfield Full Service Village offers an all-you-can-eat pancake breakfast, which we also did not get to experience, yeah, which somehow we, we missed out on that. We had I had to know. eat during those three days. Yeah, so. I do not know. Uh, we're going to plan around that next time. <laughs> we have, we've got some unfinished business. Okay, so those are the secrets. And now let's see what Mesa Verde has for families. Uh, the first thing I'll mention is stargazing. Um, Montezuma and Mancos overlooks are along the road. Uh, just if you keep going into the park a little past the campground, you know, maybe you're staying there. Uh, if you keep going past, you'll get to those overlooks very soon. And these are the best areas in the park for stargazing. Um, also, you can do bird watching. Another one of those activities in the park in any park that kind of gets overlooked sometimes, but there are you know some great areas for bird watching. Uh, in the fall, you may want to take the knife edge trail, maybe early in the morning, uh, catch migrating warblers and hummingbirds, according to the park website. Uh, so there's you know lots of birds you can see, especially around the Moorfield camp area on those trails. Uh, Yeah, so so check those out. Yeah, and in addition to some of those, of course the park offers the Junior Ranger program, which theirs is geared uh, towards kids ages 4 to 12. There's also an entire Junior Ranger station at the Chapin Mesa Museum. So, So check that out for extra activities as well. Um, At the campground, families can check out a junior naturalist booklet and activity pack, which includes field guides, binoculars, books, and other things. And the binoculars are going to be really interesting for for looking at some of those faraway cliff dwellings where you can't tour them necessarily, but you can see them from an overlook. Uh, So definitely check that out as well. Yeah, binoculars would be a great thing to have you know you think about using binoculars for wildlife but actually they'd be really clutch to bring to Mesa Verde um, because a lot of the cliff dwellings you are looking at from an overlook uh, and there are some that you can only do that um, like especially on the uh, Weatherill Mesa so yeah so lots of easily accessible activities and adventures. Um, but what's what's a big adventure, a big, more adventurous activity people can do at the park? Yeah, this one, you know, is a little tougher because you don't think huge, big adventure when you think Mesa Verde all the time. But I will say, researching on the, the park website, one particular tour jumped out. It's the Spring House Tour. 
Springhouse is the largest unexcavated cliff dwelling in the park. There are over 86 rooms and seven kivas. Kivas are a special religious ceremony room. And um, to get there, however, is an eight-mile round-trip hike, meaning the tour in total is eight hours. And, you know, they say the hike is very strenuous. You know, of course, it's an unpaved trail into the backcountry, and the elevation change is about 1,500 feet. So uh, that is one really cool option. That tour, you know, it's listed on the website for 2020. I hope, you know, they continue it, you know, into 2021. But again, they change those special tours somewhat each year. Um, The second big adventure I'll add on is snowshoeing or skiing to the Cliff Palace Loop Road. So if you drive to you know the Chapin Mesa area, you can snowshoe or ski this loop road for about six and a half miles. And I am sure you will have lots of fresh snow to cut through there. Um, and it just sounds like a really cool way to see the park. I can't imagine what those dwellings would look like in the winter I'm because you'll still be able to pick them out really easily they're overhung by the cliffs so they're not going to be you know covered in snow it'd just be super cool to see them framed by all the snow yeah absolutely and anytime you can see a national park in kind of a different way than other people see it I think is really enticing So getting into our Q&A section, these questions were crowdsourced from Instagram. You guys asked these questions on our page at Switchback Kids, so you can ask about future parks as well. Um, Question one, where do you stay when you visit? We mentioned um, this already, but the best best answer I have is (laughs) one lodge, a Farview Lodge, one campground, Moorfield. So pretty... Pretty straightforward accommodations at Mesa Verde. And do you remember what the best thing about the campground was? Hot showers for free. Yeah. Free showers. Wow. One of the very... We did not know... This was our second national park. They had showers. And we didn't know how rare that was until we went to all the rest of the parks and very few of them had showers. <laughs> uh, and the good thing is also can't, the campground doesn't fill up. It's got you know over 200 sites, I believe. So... Um, you don't have to worry about getting a spot. All right, second question. What is the best tour? This was uh, tricky for us. We do, we do have a, a lot to go off of, though, because we did almost every tour we could. Um, but our favorite tour, like we mentioned, was the hiking-biking combo tour of Wetherill Mesa. Um, but if you're looking at just the regular longhouse, balcony house, cl- cliff palace... Um, I think we liked the balcony house because of its adventurous element. Um, But then we also, the (laughs) Cliff Palace was really interesting because we did it at twilight. Um, So what I would recommend is just doing, looking into those special tours and, and coming up with a way to do it with a twist. Yeah. And Cliff Palace had, the guides were dressed up as reenactors and had a whole backstory of their character. So that was another cool element. Yeah, like um, a living history. Yeah, it's a lantern tour. Uh, yeah, so they're all, all worth it. 
So the third question, is it worth the drive? It feels so far out of the way. And I would say yes, uh, obviously out of the way based on all the cities that we couldn't even pronounce nearby. Um, But we think it is so worth the drive. The park has a lot to offer beyond just the cliff dwellings. It's a destination in itself for sure. You can spend multiple days there. We spent three days there and we and were never we bored. Did, what we did in three days, you could have easily filled up a week because we. this was at, at our high energy level of the trip where yeah. we, we were like on from sunrise to sunset and beyond. And so we we definitely, you could easily fill a week at Mesa Verde. Yeah. And like we said, check out the rest of the Four Corners area and round out your trip. Um, Next question, which we I feel like we get this question about almost every park, but maybe it's the same that's person. That's fine. It's, rel- it's relevant to us as well. So is the park baby friendly? And we would say for, for the most part, yes. Um, on the cliff dwelling tours, there are no age restrictions, but children have to be able to walk or be carried in a backpack. There are no strollers or anything allowed. Um, there, most of the tours include at least one short ladder climb, some longer ladder climbs. So be sure you know of that before you go. But if you have a baby in a backpack, shouldn't be too big of a deal. The um, the rest of the park, hiking and touring the other archaeological sites, the self-guided tours, that's all, of course, baby, very baby-friendly. All right. So final section of the episode, something to think about. This takes us back all the way to the beginning of the ex- archaeological excavations at the park when a Swedish researcher unearthed the remains of about 20 people and more than a dozen funerary objects uh, from you know, Mesa Verde in 1891. These objects and remains eventually became part of a larger collection at the National Museum of Finland. And the big news is that the remains and items were finally returned to the area Uh, a few weeks ago. It was a huge uh, collaboration between the U.S. and the um, Native American tribes, uh, the Hopi tribe in northeastern Arizona, um, the the Zuni, Acoma, Zia Pueblos in New Mexico. Uh, They all led the repatriation efforts and worked with the Finnish Museum. Uh, You know, this was just a really important thing for these tribal leaders to bring their ancestors home and return these items to their proper resting place. So, you know, it finally got done after more than 50 years of requesting this to happen. Um, So, you know, it just makes me think about, you know, what is right and acceptable in some you know eras and times and customs is you know things change and we have to make sure we're understanding that and make sure that you know when things do change we're receptive and responsive and being you know appreciating and respecting you know the cultures um especially important with 
you know, our Native American nations. Uh, so really glad that those, uh, those people and things are, are in their rightful place. Um, and, you know, that, again, we, that whole incident when they were first removed and taken from the U.S. started the, it was the basis for the Antiquities Act uh, in 1906. So if that had never happened, if there wasn't the controversy of that archaeologist removing all of those items uh, from the U.S., we may have had a lot more items go unprotected or remains go unprotected and lost. So, you know, although it was, you know, uh, one negative, uh, it led to a lot of positive change. Um, And that is something to think about. Definitely something to think about. So thanks, guys, for joining us as we visited the U.S.'s seventh National Park Mesa Verde. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love to hear from you on our website, switchbackkids.com, or on our social media at switchbackkids. Yeah, tell us what you liked and what you want to hear more of, and send us your questions for future parks. Next week, we'll be heading northwest to a stunning park that is always a crowd pleaser and one of my personal favorites, Glacier. Until then, switchbacks out. out.